Welcome back to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me. I'm Daniel Muggleton. I'm the guy. Thanks for tuning in yet again. I hope you enjoyed last week's chat with Luke Heggie. Uh, I love that man. And also just proper praise to the listeners of this podcast. When you when you dangle something out there, when you suggest that maybe someone would know something about SurveyMonkey and Luke Heggie's ability to access his complaint forms and someone immediately responds with a long-winded, detailed, hey, you can trust me, I'm a good bloke, fuck yeah, man. I love that. Thank you so much. I've passed it on to the great man himself, and if uh, his cane will hook that up. So thank you. Thank you for being such an active listenership. I want to give you a name. It's killing me. It's annoying me. I do my, I do my live interactive show uh, with Steve Hofstetter called Ask Us Everything. And uh, the people who listen to that are flamingos because uh, they like the pod. And I suggested pretty strongly in an early episode that I wanted to fuck a flamingo. And that's kind of stuck with me. I, it, it's amazing how when you suggest that you want to put your penis inside bird life, that that really tends to color people's opinion of you. Uh, pink, probably, if anything. Um, so yeah, I don't like, like muggalos. Is that, is that too, like obviously playing off the insane clown posse there. And I don't know how much I want to be associated with the insane clown posse. I don't know. Can we crowdsource this shit? Is there anything, is there anything that I've said thus far on this that is so memorable and noteworthy that you would like to be called that heading forward? I would just like a way to refer to you collectively because I think you're lovely people and I think you've got excellent taste in what goes inside your ears and I just I just wish there was a way to conveniently do that. Uh, do get in touch, as always, dan at danielmuggleton.com.au. If you email me, I will be the person who replies. Uh, I want to get into this week's episode real quick. Uh, as you can see, my voice is somewhat recovered, but I'll be honest, this week's episode was recorded in two parts. The first part, just before... Uh, my wife's birthday party. The second part, the morning after my wife's birthday party. So you might experience a slight shift in tone there. Uh, it was it was a good night. It was nice. It was nice to be taken outside the walls of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival for a bit uh, and do something worthwhile. Um, quick thing that happened this week. I do these pub crawl shows. Uh, they're comedy shows in the afternoon. Uh, on a pub crawl, basically. Uh, these people are taken from venue to venue. There's four venues, four different comedians at each venue with an MC. It's a really fun thing, uh, I got to say. A lot of fun. Um, this week, I just had a great one because, you know, I was, I was there and it's the afternoon and they're a bit loose and I just started to... I started treating this guy who was sat right next to the stage as my coach and we went in <laughs> and did just some little post-match post-match questions, little press conference energy uh, after each of my jokes to see what James thought of them. And he was very non-committal. It was amazing how many people in this life do in fact have media training. It turns out he was an architect and it just what was lovely, a great moment. I've got a joke that suggests that suggests that maybe someone's husband is packing a bit of a hog, a big weapon, a big weapon in the old pants. And I was like, hey, James, how big as an architect do you reckon his penis is? And he said, oh, 300 centimeters. <laughs> Absolutely blew it. The worst fucking architect of all time. 300 centimeters for a cock. How big are your door frames, you fucking psycho? Oh, it was lovely. Just 800 people rinsing him, enjoying it. Man, 
look, I don't want to, I don't, I never, I never want to sound too nostalgic on this thing or whatever, but there is something that to be said for doing stuff live, like live comedy is where the fun shit happens. Netflix specials are a bit too sterile. If you ask me, uh, look, I want to get into this week's episode. I don't want to take up too much of your time on the intro, but I will say I'm at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival for one more week. I get out of here April 23rd. That's when it all ends. And just just on a, on a humble note, I really thought I had broken the back of the thing. Uh, last weekend over Easter, heaps of people came out. I don't know if they were listeners, but thank you if you came. Um, and then this week has just been a bit quiet. And it's, it's just a good, I think it's a good thing in life in general to remember to not get ahead of yourself. But in comedy, like I got the momentum. It's all happening. The people love me. I'm going to be carried out on shoulders. I'm going to be upgraded to a huge venue. It's all happening. And then you just kind of have a quiet week. Not to say the shows have gone poorly. I'm still actually waiting on this festival's absolute stinker of a show. Uh, every festival has a stinker of a show. Um, this one has yet to happen. So in the final six, you could come down, see me make a huge and public mistake, or we could dodge it and push it on to Sydney, five shows in Sydney. Which one of them is going to be the goddamn stink fest? But yes, I just wanted to say that I post my wins. I post my wins on social media. I tell you when it's sold out. I tell you how well it's all going. But sometimes it does not go that well. And I just wanted to, you know, give a, a, a quick little mention uh, to my good friends, uh, Michael Schaefer and last week's guest, Luke Heggie, who, when I had a quiet Saturday, plugged the shit out of it and almost got me up to a sellout, which is, you know, what are friends for? Um, so go see their shows, obviously, the old return plug. And uh, also, I should point out, uh, my wife loves... Alice Fraser. Alice Fraser has been a good friend of mine in comedy for a long time. She caught her show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Uh, definitely go check it out. An incredibly interesting and hilarious comedian, uh, Alice Fraser. I believe it's called Twist. I believe it's called Twist. I'm making eye contact with my wife now. She's nodding. It's called Twist. Uh, so go check that out as well. All right. We're going to get into this episode. We're talking 10-pin bowling. We're talking birthday parties. We're talking naivety. We're talking Melbourne versus Sydney. But to get us there, you guessed it, it's Verticoli. All right, coming to you hot. Uh, Sunday night, April 16th, on my wife's birthday. Never doubt my commitment to the Daniel Muggleson podcast. I'm finding time. My show starts in 30 minutes. I'm meeting her afterwards for drinks. But I know you, the loyal listeners, who I'm yet to name. I will one day name, but I'm yet to name you. Uh, you need me on a Monday, so I'm not going to leave you hanging. Uh, we've already done the cake. Don't get the wrong idea. Uh, she does come first. I apologize, but she does come first. My beautiful wife, Mary. Uh, we did the cake earlier this afternoon uh, at Strike Bowling. I cannot emphasize just how out of ideas adults need to be before they're like, you know what? 10-pin bowling. We were the only all-adult group there. Uh, just surrounded by children trying to be distracted from the school holidays uh, we were there. We were bowling. There was five of us. And I got to say, the overwhelming feedback from bowling, number one, 
Uh, is there a kind of more super spreadery event? I should clarify, by the way, this is 10 pin. This is in the alley. I know last week we talked about lawn bowls, but this is the 10 pin bowling in the alley. Random balls coming up a mystery tube. Everyone's touching them. Everyone's rotating them. Like the numbers and the sizes mean something. Like if COVID happened again, I would bank. I would put money on it coming out of a bowling alley. I mean, let's be honest. Most people who are into 10-pin bowling aren't vaccinated. Bang! That's an America joke, I think. I think it's a Southern America joke. I don't want to, I would hate to generalize about such a rich and diverse group of people, but I do feel like in the South of America, they like bowling more than anybody else and they trust vaccines less than anybody else, uh, except obviously the good people of the influences of Byron Bay. The least trusting of vaccines, in my opinion. Uh, hot people who wear linens with money, that's the number one, do not trust the vaccine. Uh, but yes. That was takeaway number one, just the sheer dirtiness of it all. Just putting your fingers inside holes that other people's fingers have been in. No sanitizer in sight. I dare say, folks, the pandemic is over. Uh, the other takeaway was we tried to do the cake at the bowling alley. Uh, I didn't even organize the cake. It was it was an outsource. So a sister organized the cake. But holy shit is... I... I'll be completely honest with you. I have no siblings. Uh, I have parents and they managed to deliver a cake to me somewhat seamlessly at every birthday of my childhood. Uh, no grim memories from that past. There was always a cake frequently handmade, sometimes not. Uh, they always nailed it. Lights off, singing, candles, the whole shebang. Now, when you grow up, you are tasked with the cake. I'll never forget. It was my dad's 70th birthday and... There was a party and there were lots of people at the party and he had recently gotten divorced for a second time and it was only at the party. <laughs> this is so embarrassing to admit. It was only at the party that my wife and I were like, oh shit, we're supposed to get the cake. Like I just assumed, like he usually kind of organizes, he's, he's friends with a baker. Like my dad's one of those guys who's got a guy for everything. He's got a leather guy. He's got a baking guy. Uh, the baker wasn't attending the party. It was only at the party that I was like, shit, that means we're on cake duty and I've completely forgotten. And thank God, like seven things in Sydney are open after 6 p.m. So I managed to rustle one up. But you just, you just kind of take it for granted, I think, the cake. Like people bring it to you so you don't know like the inner workings, like behind the scenes of the cake delivering industry. So today... I was given the cake. I was tasked with the responsibility of getting the cake to my wife at an, uh, at an appropriately, like, I'm going to call it uh, not romantic, meaningful. Do you, do you deliver a cake in a meaningful moment? It's not a romantic moment. That's kind of weird. That's kind of like, you know, the, the, the kiss from the knife that comes out dirty involves a lot of tongue. No, no, no. Like it was, <laughs> it was like just get the cake to her at like a nice moment like at a point where we can all enjoy the cake together she'll remember it fondly blah 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 so we did it at the bowling alley i thought that was better than a breakfast like a breakfast cake is a bit american again for me fucking double digs at american sorry guys uh so at the bowling alley i was like hey can you guys store this cake because we try to keep it from it because you can't let people know that you have the cake you gotta, you got to have them assume that there will be a cake. They never see the cake, and then the cake just appears. Uh, I think it's pretty much the same way that teenage boys consider their virginity being lost. 
You know, like through no effort of my own, it will be lost. And if it doesn't get lost at the appropriate time, I will be upset. Um, <laughs> just, a, just a slight incel, uh, you know, in, incel, incel-y comment there, like little, so, little social commentary. Anyway, so I was like, bowling alley, better than breakfast. Let's go. It's a bowling alley. They'll have kids parties there all the time. They will know how to facilitate a cake being served for a birthday style celebration. And I got to be honest, no, no, they did not Not to, not to have a go at the good people of strike Queen Victoria, uh, in, in Melbourne, but like they, they were, they were very good at storing the cake. They were like, we can take the cake. They hit it under the counter as my as my wife walked in. Good stuff. Fast thinking. I liked it. But then they were like, let us know when you want to bring the cake out. And I was like, look, in half an hour is good. And do you guys have any kind of candles or anything we could put on the cake? Or can we source candles to put on the cake? And they said, well, we're an underground facility. There's smoke detectors. You could set off the smoke detectors. So no candles. And I'm like, okay, I get look, that. That seems somewhat reasonable. You know, there's people vaping in here, but sure. Uh, ironically, some of the vape flavors, birthday cake, but that's okay. Uh, so I was like, hey, just bring it out at that time. And they're like, would you like a knife? And it's like, yeah, like we're not going to, you know, put a face in it. I think cutting the cake is, is the appropriate thing to do. And they were like, well, okay, we can give you a knife but we will need to be present for the cutting of the cake and the using of the knife, and then we'll have to take the knife away. Now, look, I, I, do, I do understand the public safety element of that because let me tell you, they gave us a big fuck-off knife, like not to perpetuate Australian stereotypes, but you know that that's not a knife? Yeah, this was a fucking knife. Uh, it was a monster, and... They gave it to us in a tea towel, which seems to be like the universally uh, universally approved safe knife transport option. It's like if you want to give someone a knife, this is how you give it to them. And then we cut the cake and then immediately that they, they look, I don't want to get them in trouble. They did leave. They didn't really stand there the whole time. We're in our 30s. They knew that we weren't going to fucking do anything with the knife. But anyway, I was wearing a full tracksuit actually. Maybe if they were a bit more judgmental, they would have changed their mind. Not important. So... Uh, they, they came back, took the knife, but it does, it does make me think like, I reckon in my childhood, I attended upwards of five birthday parties in bowling alleys, indoors, smoke detectors, candles on the cake, you know, let's say up to 13, 14. Those are probably the number of candles, uh, the number of years old you are before you decide bowling is a shit activity. Um, but that on the cake with a knife that I assume they lent us or like parents were just allowed to bring in. I think there was just more access to blades back in the day. And I'm not going to say that we need more knives in bowling alleys. That isn't, that isn't the hill on, on which I wish to die on this podcast. But I will say that 9-11 ruined a lot of things, didn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm putting it out there. I think I don't think it was a spate of birthday bowling alley stabbings, or at least if there was, I haven't read the article. I just think after 9-11, when it was like you could just take a, like a knife, like a six-inch blade, I think that was the old rule. You could just take that on a plane. Like you could go through a metal detector with a six-inch knife and they'd be like, is that for personal use? I guess. I guess. It was 2001, so I was 12. So I, I, I don't... 
There must have been metal detectors the whole time. I remember you put the thing in the thing. Yeah, I've seen it in sitcoms. There was definitely metal detectors, but I know for a fact you could bring like a six-inch blade on a plane and then in 9-11, everyone's like, oh, man, we've been too trusting, you know? We've been like that once... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that once bitten twice shy type scenario you know where you're just like man we let him get away with a lot this one's this one this one's kind of on us you know like let's let's batten down the old hatches in future so i still do appreciate that to cut a cake a bowling alley will give you like i get this knife was about six inches it was a monster you could you could have cut a steak with it for sure uh they'll still give it to you but they just need to monitor it and the the funniest thing about that is that you've got the knife. <laughs> They're not cutting it for you. Like they were like, we can't cut it for you, but you can cut it with our knife, but we'll be there to make sure you're not being irresponsible with the knife. And it's like, hey, here's the weapon. Don't do anything irresponsible because I'll be watching. And it's like, I'm the one with the knife now. So if I'm using it, in a way that you deem inappropriate, you're like, hey, 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 cut that out. Give me the knife back. I'll be like, fucking make me. I've got a knife. <laughs> anyway, I know I know the correlation uh, between general safety requirements and 9-11 is a weird thing uh, to mention on your, on your wife's birthday, but I just wanted to take you down there to the bowling alley where I was like, man... This, this company has a policy, but it is poorly thought out. Uh, and obviously, most important of all, I did win bowling. Thank you very much. Uh, stupidest scoring system of any sport bowling, where it's like, really, to fuck with anything at all, you need to be getting strikes. Apparently, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that the strike is worth 10, but then the, the thing is like it's a multiplier, so it's like the strike's worth 10, then whatever you get on the next frame is doubled. So like you can just really maximize it hit that 300 perfect game. But until then, until then, you're just kind of fucking with nothing until you hit a strike. And not, I get it. I, I like I like good high risk, high reward, but still, I do, I do feel like it's a dumb scoring system. I preferred lawn bowls and not just because after two games of tempin bowling at the ripe old age of 33, my thumb and shoulder are in agony. I didn't even realize bowling balls weighed things, but apparently they do. As a kid, I never remember being like, oh yeah, the old shoulder's a bit ginger today. I went, I went 10 pin bowling yesterday. But no, all of us, all of us are in our 30s and 40s today and we all walked away being like, fuck, that really takes it out of you, huh? I think Mary's sister needed a Band-Aid for a pinky, a finger unnecessary for any bowling type activity, but the rest of us just had new joint pains like my rotator cuff was just gone. I don't know what a youth of playing cricket did to me, but fucking hell. Just the simple act of swinging my arm in any direction, giving it absolutely no zip, by the way. No zip on the ball. I tried a couple of spinners, got fucking nothing out of it. But yeah, like I'm going to feel it tomorrow. Like I'm genuinely going to feel the pain of tempin bowling tomorrow. Ugh. Aging, huh? And by that I mean... Happy birthday, Mary. (laughs) Oh, dear. Now it's the morning after. The morning after the birthday. I didn't get it in in time. I had to take my wife out. We had to have have a party. So 
Look, this is coming out a few hours late. I apologize. I think I'm doing well. Double Eps. Double Eps during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, uh, a time when comedians are incredibly busy. Uh, and I, I refuse to let you down completely. Uh, and I, I don't know. Can you tell in my voice? Can you hear? Can you hear in the, the timbre of my voice that, you know, we had a bit of a big one? Had a few. Went to Madame Brussels, the old Melbourne throwback. It's really funny being how to how to describe this to an international audience. Like Melbourne was kind of like the hip city compared to Sydney. Sydney's always been like the crown jewel. Like, you know, the good harbor, the good beaches, the good weather, everyone's good looking. Like that's the vibe. Whereas like Melbourne's kind of like the fashionable one. And like on your trips to Melbourne, you would you would kind of do cool things from Sydney. You'd be like, whoa, in this bar, they've got artificial grass and serve punch bowls. We'd never get that in Sydney. We just have bricks and a water view and tans, you know, like it's a, cause it didn't have the natural beauty. It had to develop uh, a kind of hip thing. And Madame Brussels was like the OG cool bar in Melbourne that I remember coming to when I first came to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival as a second year university student in 2009. And it was a, it was a hell of a time. We saw Aj Barker because that's the that's the law. <laughs> if you're an Australian and you go to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival for the first time, you must see American comedian Aj Barker. Uh, you must. You simply must. He's the he's like ironically quite a kind of stoner type guy, and he's like the gateway the gateway comedian to other comedians. Not that he's a bad comedian; he's very funny, but just like. Especially then, I would argue he was pretty much the most mainstream comedian you could get in Australia. The omnipresent, kind of like seeing like Jimmy Carr in the UK. It's like he's everywhere. He's a comedian. If you're going to go watch comedy, you just go watch them. So we did that. And also, I forgot about this until recently. We went, we went to go see a Harry Potter show. Now, this was before uh, J.K. Rowling got very, got very invested in identity politics. Uh, you know, we were, we were the Harry Potter generation. Like we grew up with the books at about the right age. And so we thought we'd go see like a Harry Potter themed show, um, which I thought was super funny because uh, we, we were like 19. We were trying to be cool. We we're like, yeah, let's go see the Harry Potter show. And not understanding how comedy festivals work back then. Uh, it, was, it was like a 3 p.m. start time, which anyone who's not a complete fucking idiot realizes oh it's a kid's show <laughs> but we didn't know so it was me my girlfriend at the time my best mate his girlfriend at the time and we just you know 19 year olds 20 year olds just walking straight into a kid's show with parents and children to watch this kind of like watered down children friendly version of a children's book as a live show fuck me uh it was it was quite quite the start to the old comedy festival uh, but it did remind me, I actually, look, not to, not to brag, not to, not to clang too hard on the podcast, but I have recently uh, been offered some work on cruises. Uh, always, always an interesting thing as a stand-up comedian. There is cruise comedy. There are cruise comedians. Uh, it's kind of a separate thing. Um, and I got offered it by this guy. This guy got in touch with me. And uh, I, I didn't really look at it too closely. Then I got back to him. You know, I've, I've been hung over for basically two and a half weeks. You know, checking emails closely is not something I'm really capable of right now. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he contacted me 
and he actually the the agency that he works for is the the Ministry of Magic. I think they mainly book magicians. Um, and so he contacted me about this like thing happening potentially at the end of the year uh, in Australia because he's, he's UK based. He saw me from the UK, blah, blah, blah. But it just really made me laugh because obviously the Ministry of Magic is, uh, is the government in Harry Potter. That's, that's how that works. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar. My name is Daniel Muggleton. Hey, I'm the guy. Uh, so in my head, an employee of the, minist- the Ministry of Magic has gone in and typed muggle comedian, (laughs) which is obviously the non-wizarding people in Harry Potter. And guess who popped up? You love it. Come on, you do love it, right? That's kind of fun. That's kind of sweet in a weird way. I'm getting booked by the Ministry of Magic as a muggle comedian. Fuck yeah, dude. I think think I'll do the cruise just to to be able to tell that story uh, with some kind of certainty. Um, but yes, thank you. Thank you for listening in. We got, um, I finally got sent some artwork from the podcast. That's very exciting. I'm going to chuck that up on my social soon. Thank you. I think it was Jen. Was it Jen? Ah, I want to get the names right. I want to get the names right. It was Jen. So thank you, Jen. Thank you for that artwork. It was very lovely. Um, but yeah, we, we had, a, we had a, we had a goddamn birthday party for my wife and I got to say like, hmm. I never like to be too sincere in any kind of public format. That's not really my thing. Um, but when you do a comedy festival and when you're a comedian in general, I think you place just an unnecessary level of importance on what you're doing, like on your actual, you know, hey, hey, I'm not just working. I'm doing jokes, all right? Like I'm making audiences laugh like I have a battle every day to sell tickets to this thing at this time and I go and I give them the goddamn show of their life all right and you're gonna love it and then you're gonna tell people and then we're gonna grow and then at some point I'm gonna be Kevin Hart but taller like that's you kind of just get in this tunnel vision of like this is what's important like the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and your ability to fill or unfill a room each evening and then make the people in there or not in there laugh is like numero uno you know like that's number one and it was really lovely having my wife's birthday to just kind of be like oh man this doesn't fucking matter at all eh like (laughs) not that it doesn't matter like you know it is it is my job it is literally the way that I earn a hundred percent of my income doing stand-up comedy and comedy festivals are obviously a big factor in that but just to yesterday kind of switch it off, you know? Like, it's not just like, oh, shit, I haven't posted on social media in 10 hours. Oh, like, oh, God, they're going to forget that I'm here. I got to share some kind of Instagram story that is literally the same story I've been sharing every day for a month, but I got to make it seem like it's a different story. I got to kind of insert some kind of joke in it to, to make them trust that I will be funny in the room as well. Like, you just kind of get wrapped up in it. And then just to have this thing instead where you're like, hey, the person I love most in the world is here. She's celebrating her birthday. She's here. She's away from her family to come see you. So why don't you give her a lovely evening? And it was just great. It was just a great thing to shift your focus and remind you what's actually important. Now, that said, if you know anyone in Melbourne, do send them along. Seven shows to go. Blah, 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 blah. Actually, fuck it, six shows. Oh, I love that. We broke the back of it. We're on the way down the mountain. But now it's just like, you know, 
organizing some friends to come get drinks to talk about obviously there is a bit of comedy chat because a lot of the people down in melbourne who are available on a sunday night for a drink are comedians but yeah just to kind of pivot the focus a little bit outside of yourself doing things for others is rewarding Ugh, i just threw up in my mouth a little bit anyway uh that was lovely and the other thing it just it is, there is like, I hate to harp on about the difference between Melbourne and Sydney, but just, just the tension level in Melbourne is so much more reduced. Like, I don't, I don't know how this works internationally, actually. So I'd be curious if you, if you, if you do relate or not relate, let me know. You know that I love to hear from you. Um, so we, we were going to the Madame Brussels, as I said, and it said it closed at 11 p.m. on, on Sunday. Now, the way that that would work in Sydney is an 11 p.m. close means that the bar closes at 10.30. So you can no longer order any drinks after 10.30 and then everybody needs to be out of the building at 11 p.m. Like it's like, hey, that's when you guys are gone. That's when there's only staff inside. The doors are locked at 11 p.m. You're, you're out of here, you know? Whereas last night, because we were the only people there, like it was a you know sleepy, rainy Sunday in Melbourne, uh, not a big drinking time. When we rocked up, we were literally the only table there. Another table appeared at some point. So there's like, I don't know, 15 of us at this bar. And I was like, hey, so when's last call? And they're like, oh, 11 p.m. And I'm like, oh, great. And then like, what, you just want us to finish our drinks as quick as we can at that point so you guys can get out of here? And they're like, nah, just take your time. I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, as long as you've ordered everything by 11, like you can take as long as you want to drink it. And I'm like, huh. In, in Sydney, like if it said 11 p.m. close, the idea of the staff just being in there, work, like, cause you know, they're not, they don't own the fucking bar. They're just like, you know, paid by the hour employees. Like they don't gain anything by the bar making more over the till, right? And just, yeah, they were so chill. Like they came and checked if we wanted more drinks. They told us to take our time. Like when I was, I was doing a tab, which is very uncommon in Australia, I was like, hey, can we just leave a tab open? I know Americans do that all the fucking time, which I find weird. Like you guys, you'll go and you'll have one beer, but you'll have your card behind the bar for that time and then you'll settle up at the end. And I'm like, what, just buy it? Anyway, not important. Um, in the UK, it's, it's only in America because in the UK, it's the exact same. Like you, you wouldn't put your card behind the bar unless you're planning on racking up like a monster, you know, like unless you're planning on shouting a significant number of drinks, like, you know, at least a hundred bucks kind of thing. But in America, it's like, yeah, for six bucks, you get to have custody of my credit card for 15 minutes. Very strange. But basically in this place, I was like, oh, do you need like my driver's license or like my credit card behind the thing? And they're like, nah, just at the end, just come up. I couldn't get over how chill they were. And don't get me wrong, as the name implies, Madame Brussels does like punch bowls. There's like garden furniture. It's a chill vibe. Like it's a hard, it's hardly a fucking rough and ready pub. But yeah, it was just, it was just, yeah, it was so relaxed. It, it honestly threw me. Like I was, I was genuinely confused by it. Um, the other thing, sorry from last night, just some more, some more highlights, things that happened in a, in a far less formal segment. Um, we got late night food, Guzman and Gomez, 24 hour Guzman and Gomez on Swanston Street. Holy shit. That has basically been my carer, uh, this Melbourne International Comedy Festival, the amount of times I've gone through there. The Guzman and Gomez $3 shell taco. It is the divorce dad special. And I would argue the greatest snack in Australia at the moment. I don't think anything fucks with it for value. 
Three bucks, a hard shell taco. Look, last nights were pathetic attempts, but generally they fill it up, they cheese it up. It's a good time. Uh, minced beef. For anyone wondering what the filling is, I don't think there's a vegetarian option available. It is legit the divorce dad special. Taco Tuesdays, drop you back to your mum Wednesday morning. How weird was divorce in the 90s? Anyway, uh, so we were there and I was like, can I use the bathroom? And the lady's like, no, no, no. Unfortunately, the bathroom's closed. They were waiting for the food. There was just a guy who just walked out of the bathroom and then I just slipped in before the door closed and I got to go to the bathroom. And then when I finished... I opened the door again and was just kind of shouting to this restaurant at 2 a.m. being like, does anyone need the bathroom? They've lied to you. It is available. They just don't want you going in, which is understandable in fairness. But anyone? And it just there was just this weird bathroom relay, like one in, one out, you know? It was nice. It's always nice to see uh, people helping each other, people being on the same side, fighting against the man, these goddamn conglomerates that don't want you using their bathrooms after certain hours. So that was that. And then the final one, which just a very vulnerable moment, I feel. Uh, I, I came back to the, to the hotel with, with my wife. We were eating our Guzman and Gomez in bed as is acceptable in a hotel. I feel like in a hotel, eating in bed is 100% fine. There's a table, but fuck that. You're not using the table. What are you, some kind of freak? You're eating it in bed. You're getting stains on some of the sheets and then you're calling down to ask them to change the sheets. That's how it works. You hope the stains are located so close to the pillows that they could not be mistaken for any other type of stain. I feel like that's that's kind of the measure we're all banking on there, you know? Because like a food stain can look like another type of stain, which would probably lower you in the estimation of the hotel staff. But hopefully you're like, look, it's right up by the pillow. If that is a skid mark up there, I don't know what I don't know, I don't want to know what they're doing. I don't know want to know what these freaks are up to, you know. Um, so we're doing that, but then our TV just wouldn't work. So we called down because the remote was fucked, and then the guy came up with batteries and changed the batteries at the door. Like he he had the respectable. This was like you know two a.m. He understood the situation enough to be like, I'll wait at the door. <laughs> I'm not going to come in and then the batteries didn't fix the remote problem. So then he did that thing that dudes do where it's like, surely it would work if I was the one pressing the buttons. I've got some Fonzie type abilities that if I press the buttons, they function in a way that your pathetic little bowling winning fingers could never achieve. So he's like, can I come in? And I was like, fuck. Like, we were so comfortable. We were so safe. We were so lovely eating our, eating our Mexican food in bed, ready to watch some TV in various states of intoxication. We're like, this is safe. And then he comes in and you get to see the room through fresh eyes. You know, there's just a tray of three, soft, three hard shell tacos on the bed. There's, there's a burrito on the other half of burrito bowl. So there's like the deconstructed burrito, the constructed burrito just sharing there on plain white sheets. There's just clothes scattered across the room because, you know, washing days today, like we've just kind of let ourselves go a little bit. And he's just walking in at 2 a.m. Just how can you not judge it? You know, like how, 
<laughs> How can he not judge you a little bit? Because, you know, this is like a nice hotel, but it's not like not a nice hotel. And he's just coming in, just being like, how do you guys live like this? You know, like, this is, this is her birthday, right? How old is she turning? You guys are in your 30s, right? Fuck, come on, guys. You got to be better than this. There's, there's socks unpaired on every surface. There's so many different water bottles just lingering, lingering around the room. Just various Panadol packets, like paracetamol packets. Two out of each, four out of that one. Just strewn across the... You just, you just really have to take stock and be like, oh boy, like we thought we were living normally as a society, like as members of a functioning society, but this guy just being in it just, oof, ruined the innocence. Ruined the innocence, I feel. I think, I think in the same way, and maybe this is a slight reach, but in the same way that I don't really think I ever want to film myself having sex because I like it. I like to think... I'm doing it in what is an aesthetically pleasing way. But to ever be given like a third person perspective on it, I feel like maybe things aren't as charming as I thought they'd be. Because, you know, I've only ever seen... <laughs> what a fucking bow to draw with a hangover on your wife's... The, the day after your wife's birthday. I've only ever seen pornography... Oh, sorry, I've only ever seen sex live from a first person perspective you know like only through my eyes what i see in that moment and then when i imagine what the other angles look like i just sub in pornography that i've seen in the past <laughs> i'm just like that's how it looks from that angle i'm pretty sure like that's how they look when they do it it's like the same way that i as I, as you guys probably uh, I've, I've mentioned at this point i played cricket for a long time growing up and the way that you imagine you're bowling the ball is the way that the Australian team bowl the ball. You're like, that's that's how I do it. I'm mimicking what they're doing, so I probably look a lot like that. And then you get like some kind of footage because your dad picks up a camcorder when you're in year nine and you're just stumbling in like this kind of pudgy 15-year-old kid who doesn't really know how to run properly and your arms are doing weird shapes. And you're like, holy shit, I wish I never saw that. <laughs> in my mind's eye it was just such a more elegant pursuit and yeah that's that's kind of you know what i mean like first person you're drunk it's late you're gonna watch netflix there's a documentary on the gamestop short selling thing what a comfortable way what a beautiful way to end the evening you got to pee before you thought you'd been able to because you're snuck into the toilet of guzman and gomez and now there's this guy bringing you the batteries you need to watch the tv show that you want to watch but suddenly making you experience your reality from an outside perspective and you're like ah fuck we got to make some changes it was so funny because i know my wife felt the exact same way because she was like, oh, not a good start for a new year. <laughs> I think that's such such poor planning from humanity. You know, like we always kind of see years as like the way that we're going to instigate change. Like, you know, it's like the new year started. So you got your new year's resolutions and there you go for the new year. Uh, you have your birthday. So now you're that age and you're going to behave differently at that age. And then you did the age before. And those days always follow a party. 
Like New Year's Eve, you're partying, you're getting fucked up. Like it's the worst possible way to start fresh. <laughs> the birthday, you're like, hey, that was that was me at 32. Now I'm 33. Things are going to change. And the way that you do that is by having the hardest 32-year-old day you can have, like long drinking, partying, power. And then you wake up, first crack at 33, and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, I feel terrible. <laughs> Oh, is this relatable? I think so. I think it's relatable. You just, you just want to, you just want to have your little insular little time where it's nice and safe, and you don't have to justify it to anybody but the two of you. Eating Mexican in bed—that's what you want. So anyway, happy birthday to my beautiful wife Mary. Uh, it was a, it was a lovely day, and it was so lovely uh, to concentrate on doing something for someone else for a minute after such a self-interested few weeks doing the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. But if I can give you any advice, it's not to not eat in bed in your hotel room. It's not to, you know, be tidier in your hotel room. Fuck that. That's what hotel rooms are for. Be gross. I just would say uh, if the remote doesn't work and it's after hours... Just watch it on your laptop. The screen's smaller. The angle's a bit worse. But let's be honest, you're not drinking in the information that accurately anyway. Watch it on the laptop. Keep your shame to yourself. Get the batteries in the morning. All right, that's it for another episode of the Daniel Muggleson Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Listening in greater numbers than ever before. Almost 300 downloads in the last seven days. Hell yeah, keep telling people. Please do. Remember, the double episodes keep coming. So on Thursday, I will have another guest from the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Uh, thank you so much for your feedback on that. As always, if you want to get in touch, dan at danielmuggleton.com.au. You email me directly. I read it with my own goddamn eyes. Uh, I appreciate all the five stars you've been putting in, but I have realized I, with the podcast thing, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to follow? You're supposed to follow or subscribe or something? Like I don't know the terminology uh, for podcasts, but there is a way for you to be alerted whenever an episode comes out so it downloads automatically, uh, please do that because that helps us keep kicking the goddamn goals of 100 downloads per day when I release a new app. We've done it once. I want to do it again. I love it. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, have a lovely goddamn week. If you know anyone in Melbourne, send them along. Six more shows. I'm almost out of here. Then it's on to Sydney, Perth, and then my first ever international UK tour. All the tickets on sale at www.danielmuggleton.com.au. Verticoli, let's get the fuck out of here.